0: Welcome back to Read Into Something. We're about to start another episode brought to you by the Stone County Library inside Alice's office at the Crane Branch. As always, I'm Alice. At my side is Winky, my mostly silent but intuitive co-host and the library mascot. Hit it, wink. Ah! You may or may not know that May is Mental Health Month, no pun intended. Stigma over mental illness has caused problems in society since the dawn of time. It was something to be hidden and never talked about. In recent years, more people are becoming open about their illness and seeking treatment to help end it. In just a moment, we're going to dig into that. Don your green ribbon, buckle in, and hang on because things are about to get dark. Mental health is an issue that I struggle to maintain. I think it's important to talk about it. I don't want to talk about my mental health because, obviously, I'm a hot mess minus the hot and three times the mess. I will say that I've learned a lot about my anxiety in the last couple of years and how to sort of keep it in check. I strongly advocate seeking professional help if you have issues with anxiety or depression or any of the slew of other mental illnesses that can affect anyone, and not just you but your loved ones. Many years ago, I had a chance to talk about and maybe treat my anxiety and depression. I didn't take that chance, and present me thinks that past me is a total idiot. At the end of the podcast, I have some resources that might help. I'll also post links on Twitter so you can find them a little easier. Admitting you have a problem may be one of the hardest things you ever have to do, but it might also change your life for the better. That said, let's talk about some horrible mental illness treatments. People. We are strange creatures as long as there have been people, there have been other people trying to figure out what's wrong with people. Meaning that if someone didn't act the way society thought they should act, clearly they were wrong. In some cases, that meant detaining the not-right person in an asylum, or worse, poking around in that person's brain. If you watched American Horror Story Asylum, none of the following is going to surprise you. Trephination, the act of boring a hole in one's head, is thought to have started as a mental illness treatment about 7,000 years ago, Got a headache? Let's drill a hole in your head. Don't think I haven't thought about doing that during a migraine. Got demons? Better cut a hole in your head so they can be freed and banished. Acting like a lunatic? Well, guess what? The answer to that problem is a hole in your head. You might think I'm joking, but I'm completely serious. Archaeologists have found a ridiculous number of skulls with holes that were intentionally put there. In some cases, it was actually a procedure to relieve blood gathering in the brain, which may or may not have saved lives. In a lot more cases, it wasn't. And sometimes, the person who survived getting a hole in the head got more holes to the head. Yep, some skulls have more than one hole that didn't naturally come from their bones. Like me, you might be wondering if this has anything to do with the idiom, need it like a hole in the head. Weirdly enough, it doesn't. That phrase is most likely coined by Jewish writers who thought being shot in the head, thus leaving a hole, was unpleasant. You are most likely correct, writers. Here's one that you might be familiar with if you took history classes, the practice of bloodletting. Because sometimes those darn spirits get inside you and need an easier way out than expensive trephination. Actually, a Greek physician named Claudus Galen believed that your body produced humors that could become unbalanced. There are a number of options for balancing your humors. You have the always pleasant vomiting, there's bloodletting or leeches, or purging which we aren't going to touch. I'm sure that letting slimy little invertebrates suck your blood is absolutely going to fix whatever's wrong in your head. If you're not satisfied, go down the street and let someone else put a hole in your head. I don't know what's worse, the hole in the head or inducing insulin comas to rewire the brain. In the 1930s, doctors would allow a patient's blood sugar to drop so low that they fell into a coma. They would leave these patients in a coma for one to four hours, essentially a human reboot. Ironically, did you know that low blood sugar has a direct correlation with anxiety? When your blood sugar drops, your adrenaline goes up. With no real threat present, you can become irritable and sometimes downright irrational until blood sugar maintains a more stable level or it rises, but drinking coffee with sugar in it is not the recommended way to do that. Level it out, people. Doctors swore by that treatment and it was practiced until the 1960s. Another method, inducing fevers in the patient's. In one case, a doctor infected a patient with syphilis symptoms with malaria. When the fever broke, the patient's psychosis symptoms had vanished. Not sure if it stayed that way. There were some other awful treatments like ice baths, electric shock therapy, isolating the patients, etc. I think it's pretty easy to blame the circumstances of the world for some of these mental illnesses. I mean, in the late 1800s, if you were working in a factory from sunup to sundown, and someone was always catching on fire or having their hair ripped out by the roots, Then you get to go home and eat beans for supper while your 15 children raise cane? Yeah, I think that's a legitimate excuse for having anxiety or depression. Obviously, in other cases, many patients at asylums were circumstances of genetic problems or accidents. Whatever the reason for the mental illness, someone somewhere thought gathering these people in a building or on a campus was the way to treat them. Should that option be unavailable, some unnatural children were locked in their rooms or worse, closets and basements. Some asylums were started with good intentions. The doctors and nurses really did want to help the mentally troubled. But like all things, donors lose interest and things start falling apart. In asylums where holding the mentally ill was about getting money either from the families or the government, things went from, it could be worse, to, I didn't even see that coming, it happened so fast. The patients were often ignored or neglected. They would be left standing or sitting wherever. In some cases, you know that sometimes mentally handicapped people make a lot of noise, I can't imagine that if someone suffering from anxiety was forced to listen to unintelligible screams for hours that that would do much good for the recovery. But all of these types of patients were shoved into a building or two and left to whatever happened. There were so many horror stories of abandoned asylums where mad doctors experiment on the patients. Some of the stories are true, but people like to add details and they turn into urban legends pretty quickly. The public wasn't usually privy to the information about places like this. Most of the time, if a family could send a patient to an asylum, they were either abandoned immediately or eventually. I'm sure that's not true in every case, just as not every asylum is a pit of terror, but one woman in the 19th century had the gall to expose what was going on at the Women's Lunatic Asylum in New York. Elizabeth Jane Cochran, pen name Nellie Bly, agreed to go undercover by feigning insanity. First of all, Nellie checked into a boarding house, stopped sleeping, and started accusing the other boarders of being crazy. She caused so much trouble that she was hauled to court. She was examined by a doctor and admitted to Bellevue Hospital. She didn't have any trouble convincing trained professionals that she was totally insane and couldn't be cured of it. The women she met there were mostly not insane. Many of them knew what was going on and had nowhere else to go. There were a lot of poor people and immigrants. Even if they could have proved their sanity to be released, the doctors didn't believe them. Some were then shipped to Blackwell Island, home of the Women's Lunatic Asylum. When she arrived, Nellie decided to just be herself, a perfectly rational young woman. And the more she acted normal, the more the doctors thought she was crazy. The food was inedible, and she found a spider baked into her bread. Gag. She was given a cold bath, thrown into a flannel gown, given a pillow and a blanket for her bed. The following morning, she and the other patients were instructed to do upkeep around the asylum. That was the highlight of her day, because after that, the women were told to sit on benches and not to move or talk for the rest of the day. That's hours of sitting and not being able to stretch. Nellie said no wonder some of the women were thought to be insane. How boring would that be? The nurses told Nellie that she should be grateful for what she had because she was a charity case, and that she shouldn't expect anyone to treat her kindly at the asylum. She reported that the nurses were often abusive and that all they were good for was gossip and flirting with the doctors. Nellie remained in the asylum for 9 or 10 days. I forget exactly which. Pretty sure it was 9. Fortunately, she was released when someone from the newspaper came to get her. She published her articles in the papers and people were horrified by what was happening. The asylum got a heads up about it right before officials came to inspect the place. All the women she'd talked to who seemed sane had been released or moved elsewhere. The conditions weren't great, but all of a sudden, the patients had better food and treatment. Money was raised to improve conditions, and that's the end of that story. However, it's not like mental health got any spotlight. The archaic ways continued and even worsened with the invention of electroshock therapy and lobotomies. One of the best known and truly sad lobotomy stories is that of Rosemary Kennedy. If you think about the Kennedys, you think about JFK and Robert being assassinated. You think about Jackie O looking chic in her sunglasses and cute little outfits. You think about Camelot and the romanticized stories of these powerful people. What you probably don't think about is what happened to Rosemary. She was born at the family home and was the sister of John and Robert. When she was born, her mother was ordered by the nurse to keep her legs closed and not push because the doctor was unavailable. I looked into why the nurse couldn't deliver the baby, because if it or the mother should die, it was on her. So she wanted to wait for the doctor. It was two hours before he got there because he was attending patients who had the Spanish flu. If not for that, with Rosemary being Rose Kennedy's third child, it probably would have been a normal birth. But because of the nurse's inaction, Rosemary suffered from a loss of oxygen. If you think making her hold her legs closed was bad, when she absolutely couldn't anymore, the nurse held Rosemary's head to keep her from being born. It was known even back in 1918 that if a baby stayed in the birth canal too long, they'd be deprived of oxygen. It soon became clear that Rosemary had some developmental problems. She didn't crawl, talk, or walk nearly as soon as her brothers had. At 11, she was sent to a school for the intellectually disabled. She later attended a Catholic school where a teacher was hired for her private instruction. However, she lived the life of the Kennedys, tea parties, social outings, and a debut before the Queen of England. Her parents pretended she was normal and told everyone Rosemary planned to become a teacher, and that she did a lot of social welfare work. But outside the family, no one realized she was moody, sometimes had convulsions, and became violent. In 1940, her behaviors became worse. She was kicked out of schools and camps and began sneaking out of her latest school at a convent. When she was 23, Joseph Kennedy had his daughter scheduled for a frontal lobotomy. He didn't even tell his wife until after the fact. This is a snippet of a quote from Walter Freeman, who helped perform the surgery. We went through the top of the head. I think Rosemary was awake. She had a mild tranquilizer. I made a surgical incision in the brain through the skull. It was near the front. It was on both sides. We just made a small incision, no more than an inch. The instrument Dr. Watts used looked like a butter knife. He swung it up and down to cut brain tissue. As Dr. Watts cut, Dr. Freeman asked Rosemary some questions. For example, he asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer or sing God Bless America, or count backwards. We made an estimate on how far to cut based on how she responded. When Rosemary became incoherent, they stopped. Dr. Watts later admitted he believed Rosemary was depressed, not mentally retarded. However, Joseph was afraid she'd ruin the family political careers. Because of her father's actions, Rosemary's brain function decreased until she was responding like a two-year-old and unable to stand up or speak as an adult. She spent the rest of her life institutionalized. Her parents didn't visit, although she had her own private house and a car she could go for rides in. An article also mentioned she had a dog she could walk. I read that she learned to walk again, but had a limp. The family explained her absences by saying she was reclusive and none of her siblings knew where she was. Her lobotomy wasn't made public knowledge until the 80s. There's a biography titled Rosemary that came out in 2016 and was written by Kate Clifford Larson. We have it at the Stone County Library, but you should check to see if your local library has it as well, or if it's available as an ebook. if you want to know more about this tragic situation. I learned a lot in the first few pages about how Rosemary's birth took place. Did you know that the lobotomy won a Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine in 1949? Fortunately, the practice went out of style in the 1960s, because people finally started realizing that maybe you weren't bothered by the things that used to bother you, But you could also potentially become a vegetable. Shortly after, it was replaced by the first psychiatric medications. Fortunately, measures are less extreme and illnesses that would have required patients to be hospitalized are now treated with medication and therapy. That's why, once again, if you suffer from any sort of mental illness, please talk to someone. It might be a family member or a friend or even in some instances, a stranger. You can get the help you need. I'll be the first to admit I've suffered from depression and anxiety for years, And when I was finally unable to stand myself, much less what my family went through because of it, I made the choice to get help. It wasn't easy, and I'm still afraid of the stigma associated with mental illness, but it's such a relief not to have feelings that aren't constantly dark and hopeless. As mentioned before, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It's been observed in May since 1949. As you've heard, before the 20th century and sometimes during, help wasn't always helpful. But the good thing about moving forward into modern times means that there's more resources and we're slowly understanding what goes on in the brain. For the last three years, my mom and I have run a 5K sponsored by the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI for short. It offers a warm line so you can talk to people who can offer help. They have free group sessions too. I think it's a good place to start if you don't know what else to do. You can find their website at nami.org. They can get you in touch with a local group, or you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Line. I don't have any experience with that, so I can't offer any advice about what they do. I like to imagine that they've helped a lot of people, though. Mental Health America is another resource you can look into. Their website is mhanational.org. I find it sad that on average, 22 soldiers a day commit suicide. If you or a loved one need help after military experience, you can visit pdhealth.mil for suggestions and call centers that can help. It's important to recognize that anyone can suffer from PTSD, panic disorders, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and more. You don't have to have a reason to feel sad or stressed. It's just like having any other chronic illness. In most cases, you can find help to start recovering. You don't have to live like that and you don't have to die with it either. I learned in therapy that every single human ever is fallible. We all make mistakes, so go easy on yourself. You don't have to be perfect. It's a heavy topic, and I need a laugh to lighten things up now. Why do fish live in salt water? Because pepper makes them sneeze. Next time I read into something, I promise we'll get back into some fun stuff. I have more Missouri history for you, but it's kind of wacky. Scandal at the World's Fair and at the 1904 Olympics. Oh dear. Until then, visit us at our Twitter page on twitter.com slash sclcpodcast, our Insta at instagram.com slash sclcpodcast, our spiffy webpage, podpage.com slash read dash into dash something, and watch all my horrible crap videos on YouTube at fit.ly slash sclc videos. See you next time. Alice Winky out. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to Allison, not necessarily to her employer, organization, committee, and/or other groups or individuals.